to episode 20 of South Coast, a shaman's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 43, Calum's Cove, April 20, 2305. For their first trial, Mary had convinced Rachel to leave the pots out just a few stands, in part because she wanted to see what the catch would be like, and in part because she wanted them to get practiced in putting the traps in and pulling them out before they got full of crabs. Nobody really knew how it would work out. Rachel and Otto took off from the crabby patty around 1600 to check the traps. It had been about eight stands, and they thought it might tell them something about the utility of the traps. Normally, they figured to check the traps once a day, or even once every other day, depending on the take. Rachel powered the boat over to the first buoy and showed Otto how to use the gaff to catch the rope under the buoy, rather than trying to hook the ring on the top, or worse, stab it. He soon mastered the technique of flipping a couple loops of line around the winch head and pulling on the line to give it bite. The powered assistance of the machine didn't mean he didn't have to pull at all, only that he didn't need to pull as hard. Rachel kept the boat swung away from the line as the first trap came up from the bottom of the bay. In a tick or two they saw the small cork float that kept the last two meters of line off the bottom, and Otto got the winch slowed in time that he didn't crush it, stopping just short of pulling the cork through the mechanism. They could see the pot just under the surface, and Rachel said, Grab the rope there right below the toggle. Pull it up the rest of the way by hand. Otto reached over and heaved on the line. The heavy crab pot seemed like it was made of lead without the help of the winch. He got it up close enough to grab the frame and slid the whole thing up over the rail and into the boat in one smooth, if not particularly graceful, movement. It thumped to the deck and salt water drained from the soggy pot and flowed aft toward the scuppers. They stared at the writhing mass of crabs, claws, pincers, and legs that were caught in the trap. I don't think we brought enough boxes, Rachel said. It took them a while, but they managed to empty the pot, rebate it, and drop it back over the side more or less where it started. Otto watched it sink as Rachel headed for the next buoy. The second trap went more smoothly, but it was just as full. By the time they'd pulled the fifth trap, they'd filled the three fish boxes they brought. Rather than go on, Rachel spun the wheel over and headed back to the pier for more boxes. By the time they got there, Mary was standing on the pier in her apron, obviously just having come from the gurry butt. What's the matter? I saw you pull that number five trap from the pub and come back. Is there a problem? Rachel grinned. Yeah, I don't want loose crabs running all over my boat. I need some more fish boxes. She dropped the throttles briefly into reverse to slow their forward momentum, and Otto stepped onto the dock with a short line. Be right back, he said, and galumphed up the dock in his fish boots, heading for the shed where the empty boxes were stashed. He grabbed five more empty ones and was halfway back before Mary recovered. You got all those in just the first five pots? she managed to ask. Rachel laughed out loud. Yeah, and if your theory is right about the ledges, we're going to get a lot more before we're done. Seeing Otto clamber back aboard with the boxes, she asked, Are five enough? He chuckled. I hope so, but we better take a lot more when we go out in the morning. See you in a bit, Mary said, and she waved. Otto flipped the line off the cleat. Rachel eased away from the dock, turned into the channel, and skipped across the bay to the number six pot. It took them almost a full stand to finish pulling, emptying, and resetting the pots, but at the end, the five boxes were just enough. 
Rachel kept looking over her shoulder at the stacked boxes in the back of the boat. When they got back to the dock, there was quite a crowd waiting. It was late enough in the day that the fleet was all in, so there were plenty of curious fishermen. Some of the gurry-butt patrons had brought their beer glasses down to the pier to see what Mary was looking at. Right in front was Alan Thomas, with a big grin plastered across his face. Rachel eased into the dock. Otter did a pretty good deckhand imitation as he ran the lines out fore and aft with a spring line to hold them close. The two of them hefted the heavy boxes of wriggling crabs out onto the dock until all eight were lined up there. The gathered throng admired the hall, and Alan never stopped beaming. Mary just tisked and kept shaking her head, walking from box to box to box, looking them over. In the end, the onlookers all volunteered to take the flats up to the way station to find out how many crabs it was exactly. When the tallies were all done and the fish box tear weights subtracted, the haul came in at just under a hundred kilograms. I wonder if Rosie's ready for that many crabs, Alan said to the gathered group. From the back of the crowd somewhere came a woman's voice. You're darn right I am. You people bring them over and we'll have a party. The boxes of crabs, and the crowd, evaporated almost instantly, disappearing like fog in a windstorm off in the direction of Rosie's diner. Alan, Rachel, and Otto were left. Otto had a bemused expression on his face, but looked a bit out of place without his staff. Rachel was still in a state of euphoria, but Alan looked at once pleased and puzzled. "'We need to work out how to pay you for this,' he said. "'We don't have rates on crabs.' Uh, "'It's easy enough to deal with,' Rachel said calmly. "'You just keep paying me skipper's pay and credit me with a landing weight. "'This season's a trial. "'We'll have a full-developed crab fishery here in another stanier or two. "'You gave me a boat and the gear, just like any other skipper. "'We'll get this set up and running, so you do have the rates that you need, "'and then you can pay everybody.' "'That seems fair enough,' Alan said. "'Jimmy's main goal is to get a handle on what kind of fishery we got with these things. "'It'll take a lot of pots to land a megaton.' But crab is also a premium product that we really haven't had before. You can do one thing that'll help in the long run, Rachel said. Order a crab processing unit. We can pick out a few by hand easily enough, but when we start landing a kiloton or more a day, you're not going to want to do that by hand. When the others get wind of this, I can see where there may be a problem with simply freezing the cooked crabs. Well, that's a good idea, he agreed. Now, let's go get something to eat. The party was in full bore, with beer from the gurry butt, crabs in a big impromptu fire pit on the shore, and even music and dancing. As the sun slipped behind the headland to the west, the crabs were pulled out, dissected, and consumed in record numbers. They were, everyone agreed, delicious. When the party wound down, the trash picked up, and the fire pit doused. Richard, Rachel, and Otto headed back to the cottage. Rachel thought Richard was a tad withdrawn, but he'd smiled readily enough and had joined in the dancing. It was like he had something on his mind but wasn't sure how to deal with it. She hugged his arm and walked with him, holding him tight. When they got to the cottage, Otto led the way inside, followed by Rachel, but Richard hung back. Seeing him linger, Rachel stopped at the door and pulled it closed again, giving them a modicum of privacy. She walked back to him, hugging him around the waist, and looked up into his twinkling eyes. Is everything okay, dear one? she asked. Richard smiled down to her. Yes, my love. I just need to listen to the world a bit more. I seem to have a lot of catching up to do. You're changed since the accident, she said. Do you know? Yes, he said, I know. After a moment, he added, Is it difficult for you? She snorted a soft laugh. Not in the least. You're more the you I thought you were now than at any other time in your life. 
She blinked as she tried to understand what it was she'd just said. He chuckled deep in his chest and hugged her tight. I think so too, he said. After a few heartbeats, he asked, Would you mind if I went back to sea this season? She pulled back and looked up at him. Back to sea? No, of course not, but what are you thinking of doing? With half the fleet tied up at any given time, there were a lot of people who were moving around from one boat to another. The probability of Richard's getting a berth on any of the local fishing boats, except possibly the Krabby Patty, was slim indeed. He got a faraway look in his eye and cocked his head as if listening to the trees sighing in the wind above their heads. I don't know, exactly, he said, in a kind of tone that made Rachel wonder if he'd dozed off on his feet and was talking in his sleep. It had that kind of dreamy, discontinuous feel to it. Jimmy is doing something. I think I'd like to help him for the season. You're going to the inlet for the rest of the season? Are you leaving me? She asked, suddenly scared. Had he gotten so changed that he... No, he said simply, but firmly. I mean, yes to the inlet. No, probably not for the whole rest of the season. Maybe only for a few weeks. And I'm certainly not leaving you. He got that listening-to-something-else look again, and added, It's not ready yet. I just wanted to talk to you before it becomes a problem. Rachel was troubled, but also oddly comforted by his words. Of course, dear, she said, as she hugged him tightly once more. Thank you for talking to me, and while I might not understand it, you just do what you need to do. Try to keep me in the loop as to where you are. Where I am, he said, in that dreaming voice that was, quite frankly, beginning to weird Rachel out just a bit. Then he snapped back from wherever he was and said, I'm not leaving you, it's just that Jimmy has a big project going and there's no shaman at the inlet. Oh, shaman business. Well, you could have just said so. All I care about is that you come home to me, sooner rather than later. She leaned back so she could look up into his face. He grinned down. Okay, I can do that. She pulled out of his hug then and headed for the door. You're going to go carve a little bit before bed? Yes, he said simply. I have a seal that I need to finish freeing. She smiled from the stoop as she opened the door. Well, don't stay up too late. Even shamans need sleep. He grinned, gave a little wave, and headed off into the dimness that was the shaman's workshop. Chapter 44 Aram's Inlet, June 1, 2305. Jimmy walked across the brow and onto the big dorm barge. Forty meters long, twenty wide, five meters from the keel to the top of the rail. It looked like nothing if not a huge houseboat, which in a way it was. Jake had brought down some of the orbital expertise to build what was in effect a very compact berthing area for up to ninety people. With two crews for each dragger and the staff of the processing plant, plus a few extras, it was going to be snug. But with half the dragger crews off the barge at a time, there wouldn't be that much time when everybody was actually on the barge itself. He stepped into the large mess deck that ran almost the full width in front of the barge. They talked about dividing the dormitories into two areas with the mess deck between, but the orbital engineers had stock units that fit the space perfectly, so they went with what was fastest. They'd have the whole winter to rebuild it if need be. Everything looked very comfortable, cheerful, and new. He didn't figure that would survive for very long in the onslaught of rubber, scuffing, and horseplay that would inevitably ensue when the barge was moored on the seamount. For the people out there, this would be their living room. 
not that most of them would see much of it, but the panoramic view forward out across the harbor, just above sea level, was spectacular. The glass windows running across the front and wrapping around the sides was the same material that was used in the orbital windows. It was shock-mounted, water-sealed, and was supposed to be able to survive a direct assault with a 10-kilogram sludge. It was also a shock when Jimmy turned to look out of them and saw Richard Krug, complete with red poncho, standing at the bow and looking out over the bay. What the he said to himself, and hurried back out onto the deck and around to where the shaman was standing. Hello, Jimmy. I'm Richard Krug. I don't know if you remember me, he said, turning to smile at Jimmy. Please pardon my trespassing, but I wanted to bless the barge. I asked Mr. Sampson if it would be all right. Jimmy shrugged. No problem. It just startled me to look out and see you standing there. Am I interrupting? The whole shaman thing always made Jimmy a bit uneasy. He was never sure how to deal with him and there'd never been one in Aram's Inlet as far as he knew. Richard shook his head. Now I'm done, but thank you for asking. He turned to look back out over the harbor. After a moment, he asked, Do you have anybody to manage the dormitory while it's out there? Jimmy blinked. Manage the dormitory? Richard turned to look at him. Yes, he said simply. Somebody who'll be in charge of making sure that the meals are made and the maintenance is done. Make sure the trash is picked up. You know, be in charge of keeping things running smoothly. Jimmy shook his head. No, actually we don't. We've been too busy just putting it together to think about who'd run it. Actually, they'd been so busy getting it built that he hadn't even thought of how it would work once it was on the mount. May I have the position? he asked. You'd be out there for months, Jimmy pointed out. Yes, Richard agreed. Why do you want to do it? Richard thought about it for a moment. Then he turned his face toward Jimmy, but his gaze was focused somewhere else. Because I want to listen to the world and that seems like a good place to listen from. Listen for what? Jimmy asked. Richard's eyes focused on him suddenly, just like that. One second not seeing and the next second staring. Jimmy was a bit unnerved, but Richard just grinned and said, if I knew that, I wouldn't have to listen, would I? The way he said it, it was like it was kind of a joke. He even chuckled a bit, and Jimmy found himself chuckling along, but he wasn't sure it was a joke at all. Okay, why not, he said. It does need a manager, and you're here. That works for me. Let's go see Jake and work out the details. We're getting underway in a week, so you'll have a chance to get acquainted with it. Richard nodded. Good, was all he said, and started back toward the brow that led down onto the dock. As Jimmy turned to follow him, he noticed a wet spot on the rail where Richard's hand had been. He touched it with his fingertip, reflexively, and when he looked, he saw his finger had blood on it. He looked at the blood on the rail and then turned to look at Richard, who had just stepped out onto the dock. Now what have I done? He asked himself quietly, but just wiped his finger on his handkerchief and followed Richard off the barge. They found Jake in the yard office. He smiled when Jimmy led Richard in. Richard here wants to manage the dormitory while it's out on the seamount. I've hired him. You didn't have anybody else in mind, did you? Jimmy asked. Jake shook his head. No, I never even thought of it, tell you the truth. That made Jimmy feel a little better. I brought him down so you two can hash out the details of what has to happen and such. Jake nodded and held out his hand. Welcome aboard, Richard. Richard took the offered hand and smiled. Thank you. I think it's going to be interesting. Won't your wife be upset if you're gone for a few months? Jake asked. Richard shrugged. She knows I have my work. She's busy catching all the crabs at Caleb's Cove at the moment and having fun, he said with a grin. She'll miss me, I hope, but she won't be upset. Jake chuckled. Well, mine would probably be happy to be rid of me for a few months, too, truth be told. 
He looked Richard in the eye then and said, So, what do you know about running an operation like this? Nothing, really, Richard admitted. Seems like it's mostly a question of a clear head, logical instructions, and a schedule that we keep. And knowing who to call when things go wrong. Jake grinned. Well, recognize when things are going wrong is a help, but I think we can work with you on that one. This is such an odd lash-up, I'm not sure anybody would know any better than you. Richard shrugged. We have a week to get the kinks ironed out, and for me to figure out which is the pointy end, he joked. Not like there's much pointy end on a barge, but you know what I mean. Jake chuckled appreciatively. Yep, I do indeed. I'd like to move aboard now, if that's possible, Richard said. Nothing will turn up a problem faster than a tenant, and it'll give me that much more time to find my way around. Jake looked at Jimmy, who shrugged in return. Any mechanical reason why not? Jimmy asked. Jake shook his head. No, it's all supposed to be working now. Some of it just isn't turned on, but we can go deal with that if you like. Yes, Richard said. I don't have anything else to do in town, so that would be good. I'd like to start right away. Jake grabbed a windbreaker and led the way back down the dock, Richard striding alongside. Jimmy was left at the office door, forgotten as the two got their heads together over hiring staff, stocking the linens, and dealing with laundry. Jimmy grinned and left them happily discussing the barge, the requirements for keeping it going, and sundry other housekeeping tasks involving keeping the people on it happy, healthy, and working. As he watched them walk down the pier, Jimmy realized that having a shaman out there wasn't necessarily going to be a bad thing. He left them to it and headed back to his office to check up on the progress of the other barges and to coordinate departures with the other yards. Thanks for listening to South Coast, a shaman's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from Wish by Rafael Garcia Perdigon. Available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.org golden. <laughs>